Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Saturius Johnson. This episode is all about the ocean. California boasts some 840 miles of Pacific coastline, and we'll meet three people who are passionate about both caring for it and sharing a sense of wonder with visitors. We'll start with SeaWorld San Diego's Jody Westberg, an expert on stranded animals. We could be out there rescuing a 200-gram seabird to out trying to disentangle a 20,000-pound humpback whale. Plus, we'll explore Terranea, an oceanfront luxury resort in Los Angeles County that takes coastal conservation very seriously. We'll also check in with Allison Sergal of the Monterey Bay Aquarium, a conservation expert who aims to inspire guests. I think if you had to kind of sum up that experience in one word, it's going to be just a sense of awe, essentially. That's all coming up on California Now. For people who love wildlife and the ocean, California has a lot to offer, from whale watching to world-class zoos and aquariums. And when a wild marine mammal is stranded or needs help, my next guest's job is to rescue and rehabilitate them. Jody Westberg has worked for more than 20 years at SeaWorld San Diego, where her official title is Stranded Animal Coordinator. Welcome to California Now, Jody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you. Let's start with your origin story. Uh, It's no exaggeration to say a trip to California when you were a kid changed your life, right? So tell us about it. It absolutely did. I'm actually originally from South Dakota, but SeaWorld had a very far reach. And I always knew I wanted to save and rescue wildlife. And I always knew it had to be involved with science and conservation. And it had to be SeaWorld San Diego for me. But what was it about a trip when you were 12, I read, that you went to SeaWorld San Diego on a family trip? And what was it about that experience that kind of changed the course of your life or at least, you know, really affected you? My parents were great and they knew I really wanted to work at SeaWorld. So when I was 12 years old, we took a family vacation there and I planned out my outfit so that I looked like the team members working at the park. And (laughs) I started asking around and, you know, how do you get a job like this? And they said one of the best things you can do is write a letter. So when I got back home to South Dakota, I wrote a letter and sent it off to SeaWorld. Now, normally you would get a form letter back from the education department, but somehow my letter Mm -hmm. was seen by really one of my heroes, Jim Antrim. So he personally wrote me back and I still have that letter. And he really became a mentor and an advisor. So I heard back from one of my wildlife heroes. Um, He eventually became my boss and to this day is my friend. So that was really inspiring and to have someone already in the industry guiding you meant a lot to me. It sounds like such an incredible and fulfilling purpose to life to be able to, you know, take a look at a a, a, a struggling or wounded mammal and then knowing that your work actually is helping it to survive, to continue its life. It is. And one of the things I love about San Diego is I feel SeaWorld and San Diego to me are very symbiotic. And the people that come to visit SeaWorld and San Diego can really have that same experience I did. Here on the West Coast, we have a California sea lion rookery and a harbor seal rookery within San Diego County. They're the closest wild rookeries that you can get next to. So if you come to visit San Diego, you want to go to this beautiful, serene area called La Jolla. And there's a place called La Jolla Cove. And when you get there, you are going to see hundreds of California sea lions. And you're going to see some of them that have orange tags on those on their flippers. 
those orange tags mean that this animal has been rescued, been rehabilitated, and returned back to the wild. And one of the really neat things is a few months back, we rescued a California sea lion that had monofilament line or fishing line wrapped around his neck. And this is life-threatening. This is going to kill this animal if he doesn't get the help he needs. But he also had an orange tag. And when we rescued this animal and we got him back to SeaWorld, we looked at the number on that tag. We had rescued that animal seven years prior as a malnourished pup, rehabilitated, returned it back to the wild, and it had been thriving for seven years. And now we gave it a third chance at life. We removed that monofilament line, returned him back out there. That is really amazing. It sounds like such a cool job. Um, I'm not sure there's such a thing as like an average day for you, but can you kind of give us some sense of what your work looks like? Absolutely. I love every day because it is different. We could be out there rescuing a 200-gram seabird to out trying to disentangle a 20,000-pound humpback whale. (laughs) And the first thing we do when we come in is we really do check our rescue hotline and see if there's any animal in need. And we always say everybody that works at the park and everybody in San Diego County is a part of SeaWorld's rescue team because the only way we know about these animals is through people alerting us through our rescue hotline. And then we'll take care of the immediate needs of the animals that are in-house. And that may mean just helping them open a toolbox with the tools they already have, learning how to forage for food on their own so that we can get them back out to the wild. So it's, I always say our job is very physically, mentally, and emotionally demanding, and we love every minute of it. You know, I I think a lot of people don't realize that conservation is such a big part of what SeaWorld San Diego is about, but it sounds like... You help so many animals. Can you tell us a little bit about how your work makes a difference? Absolutely. And I think people, when they come to visit the park, can see how we make a difference and they can get up close with some of these animals. And two of those experiences we have at the park that are two of my favorites are with the southern sea otters. And you can actually do a southern sea otter experience and meet them at the park. Or you can meet our beluga and walrus um, team at our wild, wild Arctic exhibit. Climate change is such a huge topic right now. And to be up close to a beluga and a walrus, two animals that are severely impacted by the changing climate, and meet such an engaging team at SeaWorld and hear about the conservation efforts we make firsthand while you're meeting that animal, you are going to you're going to leave with a different sense and a different appreciation for saving wildlife than you had before you walked through the front door at SeaWorld. What would you say were some of your more memorable rescues and returns that you've worked on over the years? One of my most memorable rescues is of a uh, the first humpback that I ever helped participating in rescuing, and it was entangled in monofilament line. We were actually at a, ta- a conservation talk at 8 o'clock at night, and we got alerted by National Marine Fisheries Service that out by the Channel Islands off the West Coast, there was a, in, a humpback that had been tangled in fishing gear. So we left at four in the morning. We drove four hours to get up to meet a boat at, at daybreak to go another two hours to get to the area where this whale had last been spotted or seen. Now, mind you, you have to be specially trained because this is extremely dangerous to try to rescue a humpback. And there are four of us at SeaWorld that have this special training. When we got to the area at the Channel Islands where the animal had lost been, last been seen, we heard it before we saw it. And now humpback whales, those are the vocal recordings that people fall asleep to. This is a very calming animal. And what I mean by we heard it before we saw it is we basically heard a blow and a scream. And then we saw the two floating buoys 
and we got our gear together and we approached the animal. We got underwater cameras in the water. This whale actually was hogtied. It had one flipper or one fin free, and it was gonna. In- this animal was gonna drown if we didn't get it disentangled. For six hours, we attempted to disentangle this animal from the fishing gear. And we came back to the boat and and we were all speaking about what else we were going to do. And all of a sudden, one of the captains on the boat starts screaming. And we look and the whale had kicked all of its gear off and it was slowly swimming away and it was completely quiet. And for the first time in my life, I was so excited not to hear or see an animal because when we arrived on scene, we heard an animal that was going to drown without our help. That is really great. Such such important work that you're doing. Thank you for doing that. Um, and now I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. And I want to ask you about recommendations. Like say you have family in town from South Dakota and they want to know uh, what some camp miss experiences are while they're there at your work. Where would you steer them at SeaWorld San Diego? Absolutely. So when my family and friends come into the park, I'm going to give you guys some insider tips. When you first walk into the park, there's these amazing touch pools where you can experience horseshoe crabs. You can touch little sharks. You're going to want to do this when you first walk in the park, but I'm going to tell you not to. You're going to wait because everybody's doing it when they first walk into the park. I want you to take a left and I want you to head to the underwater viewing where you can, where in the morning it's very quiet, it's very serene, and you are at an huge underwater viewing where you can see over 3,000 sardines and our killer whales. And when you look an animal in the eye, right up next to that glass, when it's very quiet and no one else is around, it's going to have a huge impact on you. Then my mother, and I will not, let's just say I'm in my 40s, and my mother is going to head to the Manta (laughs) roller coaster, and it's going to be hard to get her off. So this is something that's fun (laughs) for all ages. But one of the things I love to tell people to do is go to the Wild Arctic Exhibit and the penguin exhibit. Those are two of my favorite habitats to walk through. So what what's so special about those experiences? Like what makes them kind of um, things that you just don't want to miss? I think a lot of people love penguins, but when you see three to 400 of them um, on the snow or the ice, they you start to really see their personalities. They are curious. They are funny. And you're really watching, we almost call it a soap opera, play out in front of you, seeing all these penguins interact with each other. And you can hear them. And where there's very few of us in our lifetime that are going to get to make a trip to Antarctica and see penguins. So to be able to not only see them, but hear them is one of my favorite things to do in the park. If you really want to get up close and personal with some of the animals that you don't normally think of at SeaWorld, we actually have a sloth encounter. And who doesn't want to get up close and personal with an animal that hangs upside down and goes to the bathroom like once a week? <laughs> and actually, you know, sloths are something you wouldn't um, you wouldn't think normally wouldn't first come to mind that SeaWorld San Diego would have a sloth. So that's kind of unusual. It is. I think when people come to SeaWorld San Diego right away, they think about the dolphins, the whales, the sea lions. But we have some great behind-the-scenes encounters and meet-the-keeper encounters with our flamingos, our sea otters, our sloths, our penguins, our walruses, our jellyfish, just animals you don't normally think about. Yeah. And and talk to me a little bit about those behind-the-scenes opportunities. Um, What exactly is that? Like, how far behind the scenes do you get? So you, depending on which encounter you participate in, 
you will go either to a private area at the animal's habitat or you'll go in an area behind the scenes where only the animal's keepers are. But the one thing you will get to do, which is one of my favorites, is you'll get up close and personal with several of the animals and get to meet their caretakers and keepers. And I really love that one-on-one interaction where you can ask any question you've ever wanted to know just about that specific flamingo or what it's like to have a job as a flamingo caretaker. What is it like Mm. to take care of these sea otters every single day, which really are like two-year-old construction workers? You want (laughs) to know if something is fit and will work, give it to a sea otter because they can destroy anything (laughs) and everything. (laughs) That's right. I've heard that the beluga and walrus encounter is pretty cool. What is that about? The beluga and walrus encounter is one of my favorite things to do, and that's also something I do with my family. And the great thing is, is you can experience the belugas either wet and doing a beluga interaction program and getting in the water with them, or if you want to stay dry, you want to do the beluga and walrus interaction. And you'll actually go poolside with the belugas. You'll get to feed them. You get to see some of their husbandry behaviors. You'll get to meet the keepers. You'll get to touch them. Uh, You'll also get to go see the walruses. I love a walrus. You will hear them whistle, probably the loudest (laughs) whistle you've ever heard in your life. One of the things you might not know about walruses is that, um, hey, how's the nice way to say this? Um, They spit when they talk. Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) A lot of saliva going on. You you might leave with some some walrus slime. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to wear like clothes that you don't necessarily have to take to the dry cleaners the next day. Wash and wear. Wash and wear. One of the things about SeaWorld is no matter where you're at, you're in the splash zone. So you just want to be aware Uh of that with your cameras and with any part of you you don't want to get wet. (laughs) Oh, that's really funny. (laughs) Well, yeah, let's talk about some practical tips that people should know before visiting SeaWorld San Diego. I'm thinking like sunblock, uh, maybe, you know, wear shoes that can get wet, obviously clothes that can get wet. Um, What else? Yeah, layer your clothes. I think one of the best things is to get on SeaWorld.com or download the SeaWorld app, and they actually have spots on the app and on the web page where it says plan your day. And you can see what's going on in the specific day or multiple days that you want to come so that you don't miss anything, that you can see all of the presentations, the shows, and maybe any animal encounters you might want to do behind the scenes. That's the best way to plan your day before you get to the park. And that's by going to the website. That's by going to the website or downloading SeaWorld's app. And it actually says things to do. And then there's a spot that says plan your day. That's great. Well, Jody, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thank you so much. It's been great speaking with you. Jody Westberg is SeaWorld San Diego's Stranded Animal Coordinator. She's on Twitter at Jody Westberg. As always, you can find links and more information on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. If you're looking for a luxury resort where you can admire and enjoy the Pacific Ocean, you'd be hard-pressed to find one more picturesque than Terranea. It's a 102-acre property located right on the water, about 30 miles south of downtown L.A. My next guest's job there is sustainability leader. Lauren Bergloff leads nature walks and loves showcasing the place's beauty to guests. Welcome to California Now, Lauren. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I think a lot of folks are surprised a place like Terranea exists so close to the bustle of L.A. Do people going to the resort feel like they're entering another world? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I have people on my nature walk saying, oh, I live in L.A. and I've never even heard of this place. How long has it been here? 
And we've been here a while and it's a really, really awesome hidden gem for us. It's so gorgeous. Give us a, a quick overview of its history. How did the resort come to be? So the land itself was actually marine land of the Pacific from 1954 to 1987, which you can definitely compare to SeaWorld in San Diego. And then it closed down in 1987 and the land laid stagnant for a while and it was a really popular spot for people to film movies. I actually remember Pirates of the Caribbean being filmed there when mm. I was a kid. <laughs> and then uh, Terania bought the property in 1998 and construction started in 2007 and then opened in 2009. And so we've been there since. So who is the typical Terranea guest or, or is there a typical guest? We have guests that, you know, range from families to people coming in for conferences. But for the most part, people are well-traveled and they're looking for a little sense of adventure or to visit the spa. So it's a pretty wide range of people. So let's say I come there for, for a visit and I'm looking to experience the California coast, the outdoors. What are some of the available activities? I have to say that my daily nature walk is, you know, my highlight. We go along the nature trails, which is part of our 14 acres of restored native habitat. And we do that every day at 10 a.m. And right now it's a really, really awesome time to go because it's the gray whale migration season. So today, for example, we saw a gray whale right off of our coast. Oh, wow. Um, and so it was really, really neat to see. So, Lauren, what else might we see on a typical nature walk? On a typical nature walk, we'll be lucky to see blue whales, gray whales, maybe some bottlenose dolphins, common dolphins, Pacific white-sided dolphins, sea lions, seals. And then on land, you could probably see some lizards, some cottontail rabbits. And then what's really neat about Terranea is if you look up into the sky, we can see red-tailed hawks. There are osprey hunting in the kelp forest. Uh, we have peregrine falcons. And then we have all... We did, try wait, to, did, wait um, did, didn't you guys have a falconer on staff at one point? Yes. Yeah, so... When we first started construction, the whole property was covered in seagulls. So there had to be a way to scare these seagulls off. So they hired a falconer <laughs> to come by and scare all the seagulls away just by flying the falcon around, which is what they call non-lethal bird abatement. And so now we have a falconer on staff five days per week, and he flies Harris hawks, uh, jeer falcons, peregrine falcons, all of that um, are pretty much a part of his family. And he, br he drives them over and then he does a complimentary meet and greet uh, Thursdays through Sundays at 11 a.m. where our guests and locals can actually meet him and his team of birds. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so, so if you have, uh, you know, if you're traveling with your kids, um, what are some of the activities that you can kind of enjoy as a family? One of my favorite activities to lead with families is the tide pool tour. So we take these uh, groups of families or individuals down to Abalone Cove Preserve. There are two coves down there, Abalone Cove and Sacred Cove. And we go on a little hike on a low tide when the pools of water are left over. And you can find sea anemones, sea urchins, hermit crabs, even little tiny fish that live down there, sea slugs. And it's super fun because it is a preserve. There is so much life down there for you to actually see. And it's just like a real life aquarium. So that's usually a two hour tour and it's really, really highly recommended. 
Yeah, it sounds like a really great educational opportunity for kids, but one that's also really fun too, right? I mean. Exactly. So they can learn by doing is what I like to say. <laughs> What's the kayaking like? Tell me about what experience like that is. Are you actually kayaking on the Pacific Ocean? So the kayak tours go out um, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. every day and you meet at the beach cove and our guide, James, will take you out on a tandem kayak and he pushes you out and then you have to do the work from there. But before <laughs> that, he has everything covered. He provides you with sturdy sandals so you can walk down the beach and you follow that kelp forest all the way from our beach cove to the lighthouse, which is right before our property. And it's a gorgeous trail right along the kelp forest. So you stay hugging the coast. And this time of year, you can see whales almost every day. So it's really, really special. And you're in a tandem uh, kayak. So if you don't have a lot of experience or maybe you have no experience in a kayak, you can actually go with someone who has experience, maybe who's on staff or uh, a friend or a travel partner. Exactly. And they usually have the experienced person in the back to do the steering and help you. And then you can be in the front and help with paddling, but you get to see even more. <laughs> and then in addition to the kayaking, you also do uh, stand-up paddleboarding as well. And that's also on the ocean. It sounds very exciting. How does that work? So the stand-up paddleboarding is definitely a core challenge. It is on the ocean, so you have those little <laughs> waves coming through. So I, I consider it very much a workout as well as an experience. Um, so you get the same view as the kayaking tour, but a little higher up. So if it's a very, very clear day, you can look straight down into the kelp forest and see all types of animals and kelp, and it's beautiful. So that sounds really cool to me. Now, I've never done stand-up paddleboarding. So, I mean, is there any hope for me? Is there somebody who's going to show me what to do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So James is really great. Um, he'll go out with you, but he'll be in a kayak just in case so he can help you. And our stand-up paddleboards are really, really wide and rather thick. So they are a lot easier to balance than your stand standard stand-up paddleboard. So even if it's your first time, um, you know, you can start on your knees and then gradually get up and um, it, and we'll go in the morning so there's less wind and less current. So it's a lot easier to go. That sounds really great. You know, I mean, Terranea sounds like a fantasy land, you know, for, for travelers who really value natural beauty and, and conserving natural beauty. I mean, it just sounds like an amazing place. We try our best and and we really want to give back to that surrounding preserve because that is what defines us. So it's it's natural to give back to, you know, what is giving so much to us. Is the area there, the Terranea Resort area, is it kind of a, a special protected area on the water? So Terranea is actually situated between three different preserves. So there are two on the ocean. We have Abalone Cove and Point Vicente Marine Protected Areas. So out three miles, you're not allowed to go commercial fishing whatsoever or even take any items from the area. And then on the other side, on the land side, we have Palos Verdes Nature Preserve. And that's protected habitat, but you can actually go hiking through there too. So Terranea is the only little spot in between these three preserves. Um, one of our land developers, Todd, would describe it as the donut hole. And then the donut is the preserve, which I thought was really clever. That's really cool. Can, can you kind of paint a picture for people? Um, you know, say you were trying to, to describe 
what somebody would see when they're at Terraneo, like what the what the view is like or what the fauna is like and the flora. How can you paint it? Can you paint a picture for us? I can try. So <laughs> out of the 102 acres, 75 percent of the property is green space. So not a lot of buildings and everything looks like it belongs and it has been for a long time. The views are stunning. You can actually see the sun rise out of the ocean and the sun set out of the ocean because we're so far out on that peninsula. And every day you get to see dolphins. It's incredible. You need to come on a nature walk with me. It sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, this is all really great information. Very inspirational as well. But let's say I also want to have like a day where I just chill out at the resort. What are my options for just kind of like a relaxing chill out day? For a relaxing day, we have one of the most beautiful spas I've ever been to. Um, it's right on property and it has, I think, one of the best locations on property. It's right in front of the ocean. It's gorgeous. Um, there's also nine different dining options on property if you really want to try any of our food selections. And then we also have four saltwater pools plus a water slide. And then we also have golf, I don't know how relaxing it is. I don't play golf, but um, <laughs> it could be relaxing maybe. <laughs> and then, of course, the trails have um, a bunch of picnic benches where you can just go and relax and either, you know, take a picnic or just take in the views. So there's all kinds of options if you want to just relax. That sounds really nice. So let, let's let's focus on the spa for a minute. So say, you know, I'm sure you can go and get, you know, a massage of maybe different different types of massages. What What else can I do there? Say I wanted to just like really pamper myself. So we just added a Himalayan salt sauna that is absolutely gorgeous. There's also a eucalyptus steam room. We have a cold plunge, um, hot tubs, and also a pool there too. And then we also have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner outlet called Solviva that focuses all on nutrition too. So you can have a really health, healthy meal and then also one of those um, treatments as well. That sounds really nice. So, and then of course, I'm going to get hungry at some point after chilling out all day. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I, I know there's no shortage of great places uh, to eat at Terranea, but can you tell us about just uh, say a few of them? What are some of your favorites? What are what are some of the places that I really should not miss? Well, my favorite by far is Boshi, which is our Asian fusion restaurant because I love Asian food. They have Japanese food, they have Thai food, they have Chinese food, and it's all flavored so well. And it's uh, one of our smaller restaurants, so it feels a little more intimate. And I love that. And then we also have Catalina Kitchen, which is a classic. It's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they have the most amazing seafood buffet on Fridays if you really want to indulge. And then I was lucky enough to actually dine at our fine dining restaurant, Marcel, for the first time in December. And the service there is incredible. I absolutely loved it. And the food was really nice. Um, they really focus on being local. And um, they call it the floss philosophy. It's fresh, local, organic, sustainable, and seasonal which I'm a sucker for. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it sounds like there's a whole range. You can go kind of, you know, if you want fine dining, you can find it. If you want something more casual, there are options there as well. Absolutely. And the best view by far is Nelson's. That's where the sun sets and it's a great place to have dinner and a cocktail. Well, Lauren, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thank you so much for having me. 
Lauren Bergloff is the sustainability leader at Terranea Resort in Los Angeles County. Their website is terranea.com, and as always, we'll have links and lots more details on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. The Monterey Bay Aquarium is known as an amazing place to see animals, from sharks to penguins to sea otters, all in a spectacular location right on the water. The aquarium's mission is to inspire conservation of the ocean, and here to tell us about what that effort looks like for visitors is Allison Sergal. Welcome to California Now, Allison. Thanks for having me. So, you know, to start out, your job title is Manager of Conservation Interpretation. What exactly does that mean, and, and how did you get into that line of work? You know, it's it's a really fun job and it's really unique. Basically, what I do is a combination of work behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. So I do a lot of training with our staff and volunteers, and we're basically setting people up to have really effective, productive conversations about ocean conservation issues. And then I also get to front of the scenes, do some of our public programs, interpret our exhibits for our guests. And then I kind of got into this line of work. I was originally a journalist in the surf industry, so I was covering ocean conservation issues from that perspective, and really always enjoyed it so much seeing like the progress that we can make on these types of issues that I got into doing it full time, managing environmental programs and doing a lot of education for that. And so that kind of led me into the line of work that I'm in now. That's really great. So for for someone who's never been to the aquarium, uh, describe what they're going to experience when they walk in for the first time. I think if you had to kind of sum up that experience in one word, it's going to be just a sense of awe, essentially. Basically, our exhibits are letting you get up real close and personal with what's below the surface, which is something that a lot of us don't have as many opportunities to interact with. Typically, when we think about the ocean, maybe the mental image that comes to mind is like the surface of the ocean, maybe just like a vast blue empty expanse. But what's below the surface is what's really exciting. So in the Monterey Bay Aquarium, you have opportunities through our exhibits to really start to understand the different habitats that are out there in the ocean and the amazing interconnections of life in those habitats and how we're a part of that too. It's just a really cool experience. Well, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what some of the exhibits are that inspire you or that make inspiring other people easy. So one of the premier exhibits at the aquarium that I think is one of the ones that kind of pops up first in mind when you think about the Monterey Bay Aquarium is our kelp forest exhibit. That's one of the first exhibits you're likely to see if you kind of come in through the main entrance area and then make a left into our ocean's edge area. And just the experience of standing in front of that exhibit. We actually have benches set up in front of that exhibit so that people can just sit there for as long as they want. And it's really just, it's kind of almost spiritual. And it's one of those exhibits that the longer you look at it, the more you find in there. And you can sort of start to see that it really is a community and there's different animals that live in different neighborhoods within that exhibit. So like if you're looking at the very top of that exhibit, there's these beautiful small orange kelp perch that are just kind of hiding in among the the blades of the kelp at the very top. And then you have things like sea stars and wolf eels hiding among the rocks at the bottom. And then giant sea bass that are kind of cruising through the middle of the water. And it's just a, it's a really, it's a really fun place to come spend some time. And you really do get that sense of awe looking inside that exhibit. It really is one of the most iconic exhibits at, at the aquarium. But there's so many others, too. I mean, it is, it is such a, a, a big place. What are some of the other kind of can't miss exhibits visitors should make time to soak in? 
So when guests come in, one of the things that we recommend is if you have the opportunity, try and give yourself at least three hours to spend at the aquarium. Because like you mentioned, there's so much to see here. We have two buildings, two floors, and everything is just jam-packed with can't miss experiences, in my opinion. The other thing we always try and recommend is that while you're here, make sure you catch at least one feeding program and at least one auditorium program while you're here. That will really add to your educational experience. And another thing I recommend is making sure you make time to connect with our volunteers and staff. They'll really add a lot to your experience as well. I think one of the things, if you if you time your visit right and you're able to be at the aquarium at 11 a.m., we do an open sea feeding in our open sea exhibit. So that exhibit represents the pelagic ocean, the largest habitat on earth. You have sharks, you have tuna, sardines, sea turtles sometimes swimming around in there. And we do a feeding of that exhibit at 11 a.m. every morning. And that really allows you to see all the amazing feeding adaptations of those animals, all those great natural behaviors on display. And you can learn about our seafood watch program too. So that's definitely something I recommend making sure you are able to catch that program if you have the opportunity. And on the way in, I definitely recommend stopping at our tiny drifter station because as you stare at that open sea exhibit, you know, over a million gallons inside that exhibit, what you're going to be noticing most is some of those larger animals, the top predators, things like sharks or tuna. What you're not seeing that is possibly even more important is all the plankton that help to support that entire food chain. So all these microscopic animals, all these, you know, photosynthesizing organisms as well that are so small that you can't even see them, but they're all, all this life contained within a single drop of seawater. We actually have a volunteer station with a really great high quality, high powered microscope that allows you to see plankton. And it's so high resolution that you can actually stare into the eye spot on a copepod and kind of watch it swimming around in the dish. And there's really cool education oh, that our volunteers, really cool. isn't it cool? And there's really cool education that our volunteers do there too about um, basically basically the way that we can help protect all this ocean life in the base of our ocean food chains. Because right now, one of the things that's happening is our ocean chemistry is changing as a result of our carbon emissions. So that's something that we can all work on in our communities to help protect that base of the food chain. What I really love about the aquarium is that you can learn about all of this stuff, but it's also just really fun. I mean, you've got penguins, you have starfish, you have, I mean, so many things to kind of just like sit back and watch them interact with each other and just kind of be what they are. One of the things we always recommend, too, is if you get nice weather during your visit to also head out to the wildlife viewing station, because that's another thing that's really unique about the aquarium is our location being right on the Monterey Bay and right on the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. And so you have the opportunity and we have staff out there that will help you find wildlife. So you're really making that connection between the animals and the habitats you're seeing out in the bay. And they're modeled off of what is right off our back deck in our region. So it's so cool to be able to make that connection to all that life that's really out there in the ocean. It really kind of brings it home for you. Yeah. I, and I also know you you have a lot of behind the scenes tours at the aquarium. What, what are some of the, the favorites? So there's lots of different options depending on what you're most interested in. We do have a behind-the-scenes tour that focuses on jellies in the open sea exhibit. That one definitely tends to be really popular. And then if you want to learn more about our sea otter surrogacy program, we have a really great tour for that too that takes you behind the scenes to some of our animal care areas and teaches you a little bit more about the history of that program and all the great impacts we've seen over the years from our work with sea otters. You know, when we talk about inspiring ocean conservation, there, there really is a lot to that. So I'd, I'd love to hear about a few of the areas that the aquarium focuses on, starting with plastic pollution. Could you kind of give us a, a snapshot of why that's a priority and what you hope visitors get out of it? 
So we tackle that through a combination of approaches. We actually have a conservation research team at the aquarium that works with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute to do research on this topic to kind of help us better understand how ocean food webs are impacted by the issue of plastic pollution. We also have a policy team that is kind of helping us keep an eye on things at the local, the state, and even the federal level, and identifying really good opportunities for people to speak up and take action on behalf of this issue. So we've actually, we'll even do that when we find really good opportunities for people to engage. We'll actually even let guests on site know about some of those opportunities if it's something that they might be interested in. So for instance, we supported the Ask First straw policy that was implemented and also the bag ban here in the state of California, working together with our guests and our online audiences. So there's really kind of a multifaceted approach to any one of our conservation issues. Another one of the areas that the uh, the aquarium kind of focuses on is choosing sustainable seafood. Um, you guys are kind of a, a leader in informing the public about that, right? A great example of that, I think, is our Seafood Watch program. That really, a lot of folks don't know this, but that actually started out as an exhibit here at the aquarium. It was an exhibit about sustainable seafood, and our guests were so interested in that, and they wanted ideas for what they could take home to do in their everyday lives to help support sustainable seafood, that it actually developed into this program where we now have this whole team of scientists that's looking at the way that we produce seafood, whether it's in a farm setting or wild-caught, and they're looking at a wide variety of factors. So things like, are we you know, getting bycatch, catching any animals that we're not intending to catch in the process? Are we having any impacts on habitats? Are we making sure we're not taking animals out of the ocean faster than they can reproduce? And based on all of these different science-based criteria, they're coming up with recommendations. So folks who have heard of Seafood Watch before are probably familiar with the pocket guides that we have. They're just kind of a, they can fold up, put them in your pocket. There's also an app version of it and a website, but it's all these recommendations that are color-coded. So it works kind of like a stop sign. Um, There's red, yellow, and green. So the things on the red list is what we call those avoid species, either animals that need a break or that there's some practices in producing them that we really need to change. So that lets consumers know, try to avoid these species. The things in the yellow list are good alternatives. So there's maybe some things that are still trying to be improved about those fisheries, but they're definitely better alternatives than the ones on that avoid list. And then the green list is what you really want to shoot for. Those are our best choices. So species on that list When you choose those types of seafood options, you know that you can really feel good about what you're eating because it's going to be good for the future of the ocean, too, and it helps us responsibly manage those resources. So using the Seafood Watch card, the thing that's cool about it is when we're all using standardized criteria for making those seafood choices, it allows us to all work together as a community, and it allows us to send a really strong signal to businesses around the world that we're interested in sustainable seafood. And these days, the way that our Seafood Watch program has grown over the last 20 years as a result of that public support is we're now actually able to work directly with governments around the world. We're able to send our staff to Southeast Asia to actually make improvements to things like aquaculture for farm shrimp, for instance, or to work directly with some of the biggest seafood purchasers in the world, businesses like Whole Foods, businesses like Red Lobster. So we're seeing these huge changes now, these huge shifts in the way that we produce seafood as a result of that public support for this. It's been really cool. Yeah, that's really amazing. I mean, it's so powerful that, you know, if, you know, people want to do the right thing, but sometimes they just don't know what that right thing is. You make it easy by having that 
seafood watch card. And if you're at a restaurant or you're shopping for fish, you know, okay, if I buy this particular one, this is sustainable and this is not going to harm the environment or the population. So it's a, that's a really great public service that you guys provide. That's the idea. You know, we we know that our guests and, and even on a broader level beyond our guests, the community around the aquarium, because that's really kind of like how we like to think of ourselves. We have folks who are members, donors, volunteers, people who follow us online through social media or a newsletter. And all of those people are a community of support around the aquarium and around ocean conservation. So what we see our role as as the aquarium is engaging those people, giving them good opportunities to act, to speak up on behalf of the ocean so that we can build a brighter future. Because that affects our own communities, too. You know, I think a lot of us were... We're so intricately to the, connected to the ocean in ways that we may not even realize. So the things that we do that are good for the ocean are good for us in the long term, too. Absolutely. Okay, one last thing, Allison, for folks visiting the aquarium, are there particular times of day or events that not everyone knows about? Maybe a certain feeding or an, an animal that's most active an hour before closing time or something like that? What, what, what kind of an insider tip do you think people ought to know? So one thing that I always recommend is not many people know about this, but we have a text alert program at the aquarium. And that gets you set up for any of the special opportunities that happen that are not on our regular scheduled program guide. So when you walk into the aquarium, we do have program guides that list kind of the schedule of planned events for the day. So that's definitely something you want to reference to be able to plan your visit. Our staff in the entrance area will help you out with that. But you'll also see on there if you want to get signed up for the text alert program, you text the word experience to 56512, and that will actually send you a text message directly to your phone if there's anything extra special that's happening. Like, say we're going to go feed the giant Pacific octopus, and that wasn't on the program plan for the day. You'll get a text alert about that, so you can make sure to go check it out. Or you never know what we're going to spot off our back deck. You know, times this time of year, we start to get our gray whales migrating through, and we'll send text alerts about really cool wildlife off the back deck, too. So that's definitely a value add for your experience. That's a really great idea, especially things are happening in real time, right? You have animals, you have things happening, you're in, in the wild, you have the ocean. So that's a really great idea to let people know, hey, this unexpected thing is happening right now. You can be in on it. That is an excellent idea. Yeah, you know, whenever I come to the aquarium to visit just as a guest, I definitely make sure that I sign up for that because you get to see some really cool things that you totally would have missed otherwise. And for that same reason, I definitely recommend whenever you're out enjoying the exhibits throughout the aquarium, connect with our staff and volunteers because the whole reason we're there interpreting those exhibits is to help you discover something inside those exhibits that you might have otherwise missed. So we can point out really cool animals that we know are there inside the exhibits, but that are harder to find. Sometimes they're not even on the exhibit labels, but we know where to find them. So if you want the insider scoop on that, definitely talk to our staff and volunteers. We'll also help you learn something about the exhibits and the animals, and hopefully that will leave you feeling inspired to help protect the ocean. Well, Allison, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Yeah, thanks for having me. Allison Sergal is Manager of Conservation Interpretation at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They have stunning pictures on Instagram at Monterey Bay Aquarium, and they're often hilarious on Twitter at Monterey AQ. As always, we'll have links and lots more details on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and you can learn more about California and plan your next visit at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast.